Hey everyone, before we get into the episode, I just want to let you guys know I'm in the last week of my Wanders of Millisonda Kickstarter. So if you enjoy this podcast and enjoy all the free content we give you guys every week, the only thing we ever ask of is to back our books on Kickstarter or pick them up from us in person at conventions. So here's your last chance to back the Wanders of Millisonda Kickstarter going until July 1st. Just go to kickstarter.com and search Wanders of Millisonda. That's spelled M-E-L-I-S-A-N-D-A. And, uh, or you can go to my social media at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and it's in my profiles on any one of those websites. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's all there for you. So that'll do it. Make sure you back that Kickstarter before it expires. We greatly appreciate it here on the pod. And on to the episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders Millisonda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. Sweet, man. All right, my dude, what are you drinking? Yeah, I, uh, I think I mentioned last week that I am getting low on beer. So I was in a, I was in a beer store, and... You know, it was it was like attack of the fucking hazies. You know, like 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 everywhere. And the Trader Joe's near me, it's even worse. Like it's just all hazies. You know, so I was just in there, and I'm like, what moves me? And you know, we're getting we're getting into the summer now. And while again, I don't mind a stout or a porter. You know, summer's for easy drinking. And uh, and on a on a related note, Decibel Magazine just did a thing where they interviewed a bunch of uh, people in metal bands, and they said, "What do you like listening to when you go to a like? What do you like drinking when you go to a concert?" Right? To a person, every single one said, "Just give me a lager. Just give me something I can crush." You know, and that's that is very metal concert. You know, like you don't want to get too down with something. Just just give me something I can drink. You know, and that's yeah. very summer. So I went with I went with one familiar favorite, which I'm having right now. Uh, my my favorite beer, the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Uh, if if Aubrey Citizen's listening, he's going to enjoy this next part. I'm tipping my hand. I was looking around at all these things. I'm like, I need something else. I just need something else. And then I got to the section with like just the normal American beers, and I'm like. Coors fucking banquet. That seems like a plan. So I get the Coors banquet. I rush it a little bit that night, right? So, and because the nice thing about having a simple, crushable, little, easygoing American lager is, it's just some some nights you just want a beer ass beer. <laughs> you know, like uh, the lead singer of Undeath on on uh, you know, my band of the year, basically. He uh, he intros one of his songs on Sirius right now, or one of their songs, by saying it's just death metal ass death metal. Like Coors is just beer ass beer, you know. Like just just mm-hmm. let me have a beer, you know. And the first night, because I was so excited and haven't had a Coors in like twenty years, I didn't let it chill enough, and it was okay. But the next day, Scott, I went to I went down the street and I hit some golf balls, and it was hot. And I hit those golf balls at for out after being in the sun for an hour. And I came home and I just sat on the steps in downstairs leading upstairs. And I'm like, I want a beer. Now's a good time for the banquet. You know what I'm saying? And I cracked that banquet open. I just sat there and it was so good, man. 
I was just hot <laughs> and, and the sweat was there and it was really, really cold and it was perfect. Like there is a space for these things. But anyway, so tonight we're just, hey, man, I'm just I'm just going to be a little simpler in the summer. I think I, I, I'll have my dalliance into some some weird shit, but it's getting warmer and, and I'm feeling like I just want to kind of go back to basics, you know, and, and maybe throw a few classics in there because, you know, Coors was. Coors was a microbrewery back in 1894 or whatever it was, you know, like that's what like Maxwell House has a great line on billboards that says something like, you know, the original coffee shop coffee or something like that. It's like that is what people drank before we got into this, you know, current era. Anyway, long winded story of a Kentucky bourbon barrel. I know what you mean when it comes to having just a regular ass beer. Um, I went to a Padres game on uh, my birthday, actually. And they really didn't have a ton of choices. Um, they had they had a few, I guess. Um, but what my friends were drinking, one was drinking a Stella, one was drinking a Modelo. I was like, baseball, Modelo? Sounds perfect. Let's do that. Yes. So I really enjoyed a Modelo. Nice and easy. You don't really need much to it. And uh, like you said, on hot days, it's, it's the best. Uh, yeah. But as for today on the pod here, this is from Brewery Classics. There's a whole lot of writing on this can, but the beer itself is called Passion Pool, and it is a gauche-style ale oh, with passion. Okay. Yeah, it goes a style ale with passion fruit and sea salt. It oh, is yeah. 5%, and um, it's, a, it's a sour. Um, yeah, okay. Not huge on sours. But this was one of the ones where my girlfriend went to Trader Joe's for me and uh, just picked up stuff that she had never seen before. And uh, nice. as you can see on this can, there's a whole lot of shit going on. That is a lot of shit going on. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like searching a little bit. It looks like a goddamn the... Where's Waldo, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's all right. Um, hopefully the beer will grow on me by the end of the pod. And, uh, you know, I'm going to drink it. Yeah, I mean, my bourbon barrel is only 12 ounces and it's 8%. So that's good. But, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see yeah, how I feel. A... I may want. I may want to round this evening out with a little bit of bourbon, period, or I may want to rule, rule it, uh, rule, round it out with uh, with a banquet. So we'll see. There you we'll go. See how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right, right on, man. All right, my dude. What is your first thing for the week? What'd you get into? Hmm. Always looking for something to get into. That's an NWA line, I think. Although I will not say the next line. Um. <laughs> yeah this this was like a, a miscellaneous kind of week. So the the Kickstarter is cranking. I guess my my biggest thing I worked on is just the daily grind of a Kickstarter. You get it. You're doing it because I see your Instagram and it looks just like mine. I think you're working even harder than me where it's just, you know, one post a day and then one or two stories a day to just keep that Kickstarter going and really try to give it some wind in its sails in the dead middle. And, you know, for me, I'm in the dead middle right now as we're recording this. Um, by the time we record next week's episode, it'll be done. I mean, it's funded. Yay. You know, I love that. You know, it, after, after a dead weekend, it did pick up the last couple days, which is lovely. But uh, but it takes work, you know, and it takes a ton of work in this dead middle. And it reminds me, you know, like I should have learned this lesson, but this was when I had the opening in the Invader schedule to kickstart Kadoja, right? We didn't have a book going up this month. So I'm like, well, that's great. A great slot for me for Kadoja. I'll just do it. Cause that way I don't, I don't want to compete. I'm not here to compete with invader books. Books. Kadoja is an invader book. It's just not going through the invader, uh, you know, company Kickstarter account. 
Um, but three protectors is here, and I'm going to be packing that up now. And uh, damn it, I made the the mistake of having a little bit of an overlap on Kickstarters. You know, I don't like doing this. I like shipping everything out and then hitting the next one. And that is surely what I'm going to do next time. But this time, I am in the throes, final throes of promoting this Kickstarter while I also am trying to get the books in and get them packed and ready and ship them out early next week because I like meeting my due dates and Three Protectors has a June due date. So if I ship them by June 20th, June 21st, then everything will get there by the end of June and that makes me really happy. But uh, anyway, so... That was the first thing. There's not a lot to it. You know, it's it's just a lot of promotion, um, but not too much promotion because, you you know, you don't want to be up people's rear ends with the promotion. But just trying to, you know, it's a lot of work trying to think of that right thing to say that isn't just the same way of saying back my Kickstarter. You know, you want to try to find a cool way to say it. Um, and, and I did end up doing a video. So last time we talked about doing a video, I did put a video together. It's it's right there on the Kickstarter campaign. Even though it's over by now, you can go take a look. The video is there forever. And um, but but if I can go a little inside baseball on it for the audio, um, because I'm an audio nerd. So what I did, Scott, is the opening of the Kickstarter video is really similar to what you're looking at right now. I propped my phone up on the computer and I talked into the phone for the intro and the outro. Right, So there's an intro where I'm addressing the, the camera directly. There's an outro where I'm addressing the camera directly. And then in the, me- in the middle, I'm just slapping graphics up. So I don't really have to go back to that. So that's the way I constructed it. But because I'm such an audio purist, what I did was I actually had to talk into the camera right now while I had the mic on. So I had the mic on because I want audio consistency. And then that way, when I turn the camera off and just speak the other parts, it's the same audio channel. It's the same microphone. It's still clean. It still sounds wonderful. But a weird thing is what that meant is I had to remove the audio from the video track and overlay this audio. And like a strange thing happens when you do that. It feels weird and overdubbed. Even though it's just two microphones, you're just muting one of the two microphones, but because you have to drop it all in and line it up, it just, it has a weird, like, just overdub film feel to it if you don't get it right, you know, and you screw with it and you're like, no, that doesn't look right. And then you're like, are my lips even moving in time to it? It's just, it's a very strange, surreal kind of experience. But um, yeah, man, lots of work on the Kickstarter. And again, by by this time next week, it'll be uh, done. It's already funded. So we're in the bonus round already. And uh, hey, another week of this. How about you? Yeah, I saw that you posted uh, that you're you're going for stretch goals and stuff like that, so that's mm-hmm. always good. Um, I'll just stay on theme with you. I am all I am also running the Kickstarter, and I did mention on the last pod that I had finished everything the night before it launched. Um, since then, I have gone over because I hit a bit of a lull a little sooner than I thought I would. And I was like, okay, something's going on with this Kickstarter. I have everything that I normally have on my Kickstarters, um, if not a little bit more. So I think I think my last Kickstarter, I didn't even bother doing a video. This one, I had one. And what I, f- what I feel like the issue was, was that I had too many mundane panels on the Kickstarter itself. So I decided to trim those out, get get those pages out, and uh, insert the new pages that I had freshly zipatoned. So the issue initially when I launched the Kickstarter was the only pages I had done were the ones that were um, 
basically them going into town, meeting people, you know, like it was just kind of like so-so pages. Mm -hmm. You know, you need those to tell the story. Um, it moves the story along, but it's not the action. I think a lot of people, when they're looking to these these interior pages, these Kickstarters, they want to see some action, especially when you say anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. You know, like that describes action. And what I had on the Kickstarter wasn't that. So mm -hmm. I removed all of the pages and basically chopped up some of the pages and just put in panels from certain pages. Uh, this does one of two things. One, it gets rid of the, the very slow panels. And two, it doesn't give away all of the story. It's like, okay, the more pages I put there, the more you're going to see what's going on in the story. And I, I want to reserve that for people reading the book. You know, yes, I want them to know what's going on in there, but I don't want to give away the story. So um, I just put in some good-looking panels, some action scenes, as well as some cool close-ups. And um, I thought that conveyed the story a lot better. And it's a little more action-packed. And on, on the same note... I had to go back to my video, which consisted of those mundane panels, take all of those out and put nothing but action in. You know, sure. yeah, there's a couple of uh, close-ups and everything, but those are for, like, emphasis. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think both of those things worked a lot better. I got a couple more backers after that. And um, it's doing pretty well. You know, it's, like, already past the $1,000 threshold. And, you know, I do really very minimal goals for these kickstarters 300 bucks just to make sure you get that initial round of printing in and then um after that it's just like okay well the next 300 that's for more printing and the next 300 is to make sure all the shipping and uh kickstarter extras get printed mm -hmm. and then at that point it's kind of like okay well now the team gets paid so yeah. like the main team i should say so like me and ed essentially um everyone else gets paid beforehand that's just how it works it's like everything else is work for hire whereas me and ed were more of a you know, like collaborators on these projects. So it's just like, he knows the score. It's like, hey, once the Kickstarter runs, if there's enough dough, then I'm throwing dough your way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just how it is. Um, with our personal dynamic, that obviously isn't the same for everyone else. Um, you know, you guys out there, if you're a writer or you're an artist, you have your own relationship with your team. And so you guys dictate your own pace and what you guys do. But this is just what me and Ed do. Yeah. Um, so, But we're definitely at the point where everybody's getting paid for this. So that's a good thing. And uh, it's moving along. But that it does take some time. It basically ate up a whole day's worth where I was supposed to just be working on Zipatones. But it was like, no, I think these things need to get corrected in order for the kickstarter to be more successful than it already is yeah i mean that makes sense you've touched on a couple things that uh that i definitely struggle with right i think the the main thing is just now you mentioned hustling a kickstarter when you could have been doing artistic stuff and i think that's that's something that a lot of us deal with you know it's we've mentioned it before it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to just sit there and create stuff. And it's a lot harder and a lot less fun to go out there and try to get fans. But you got to go out there and try to get fans, you know, assuming that you want to try to, you know, make some kind of money at this. You know, like my goals are pretty modest in terms of financial stuff, but uh, some people have more aggressive goals. And the more aggressive goals you have, the more work you're going to have to do to promote it and just rise above the din of so many projects and so many people making so many great things, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's time well spent. 
right? As as long as you're as long as you're putting the time in and it's time well spent and you feel like you're pushing toward a goal, then then it's it's a good way to spend time and you know, you can always just work on the book book tomorrow and promote yourself a little bit more today. Right. Yeah, there's a couple other things that you know, you also have to do like you mentioned us updating our social media you know, letting everyone know, hey, the Kickstarter is going, but you don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to be annoying about it. But also you have to put it out there enough because not everyone see like everyone following you. Not everyone sees your you know, your entire feed, mm-hmm. you know, um, and like I don't really know how that works with Instagram. I think, you know, a certain amount of people that follow you actually get to see what you're posting. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how Instagram dictates that. But it helps the more you post, the more people will see it. So yes. I'm trying to do at least once a day. But my ultimate goal is two posts a day and at least two stories a day. And uh, so I'm being slightly more aggressive than you. And uh, But I have other tricks that I'm not employing because I really want to reserve those tricks for when I actually do the hardcover. You know, where I, that's where I feel like I'm going to need every single person. You know, it's just like these these single issues. I don't mind just kind of putting it out there and seeing who backs, mm-hmm. you know, and just updating my social media with it. But I don't want to be overly overly aggressive because these are modest goals. It's like, yeah, you know, I can get what I need off of the people that have previously backed and just love following my books. It's yeah. like as soon as I post the Kickstarter, there's two people that back almost instantly as soon as I post it because they follow me on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So when I post a new project, they're they're the first to back, and it's always very cool. Um, but there are other tricks you can employ, and, and I'm just going to hold on to those until I really, really need it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just staying uh, on top of this, it's it's a whole job in into itself. Yep. And... Uh, you know, you just got to keep grinding until it's over. And hopefully I'm not being too annoying to the people that are following me on social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, again, that's that's why I only do my Kickstarters for 15 days, because I just I can't do it any more than that. I, I, you know, even three or four days in promoting myself, I was like, it. well, first of all, it was the weekend. It was on Saturday. And I'm like, Kickstarters don't move much on the weekend in my case. So I'm going to post a photo that I forgot to post of Eden and I at a comic shop. Like, why not remind people that you're human, too, instead of just my Kickstarter, my Kickstarter, my Kickstarter, my Kickstarter, my Kickstarter, you know? So right. I, I do. I get I get very uh, aware of that. And I like, you know, making sure that I'm having a little bit of fun in between the, the promotion stuff. And then back to the promotion, you know? But um, anyway, we all have no, our absolutely. own ways of dealing with it, you know? No, I, I agree. That's the, um, that's the best way to do it, honestly. You don't want to bog everyone's feed down with totally promotion especially the people that already backed your kickstarter they're like yeah yeah i already already took care of it you know you like stop stop harassing me in my feed so right yeah i posted some stuff uh i just learning to golf Uh, i went golfing the second time um with one of my buddies not too long ago uh on friday and so i posted pictures of that you know it's just like yeah do post your everyday stuff like you would you know if you weren't in a kickstarter and like you said let people know you are human and you are doing other things you're not just sitting there frantically hitting refresh on kickstarter and seeing what you know has transpired in the last five minutes or something exactly like that. yeah man exactly exactly um so yeah my my second thing I'm, I'm just gonna limit it to two things this week but this one's a little bit more involved and a little more interesting um because it's it's sort of brand new um, so I got I got notes from my mentor 
for, and we're talking about novels because I worked on it a lot and some weeks I just don't work on comics as much. So I got notes back from my mentor for pages 41 through 60 of my novel. And, and I read them and there were a couple minor things, right? So I felt pretty good. You know, like the major notes were there. It's not perfect. And, and when I just talked with my mentor about five hours ago, that's what he was talking about. Like, it has to be perfect, you know? And so it was interesting because he basically, he has some, he's taking some time off starting in a week or two. And then I'm taking some time off in July. You know, I'm just, just traveling around and doing some things. So as a result, we're really not going to have much of an opportunity to connect. So immediately it becomes, is June 30th a realistic date for me to say I'm going to be done with this novel? And the headline answer is no. No, I'm actually going to kick that back a month or two. It's it's sort of like tentative date of, let's say, September 1st. And again, it's my goal. You know, like arbitrary goals are great, but arbitrary goals can fuck you up a little bit, too. And the goal is not to turn in something rushed. The goal is to turn in something good. I have time. I'm making comics. I'm, I have money. You know, like, I'm not worried about that stuff. So, you know, I can take my time here. So um, because of that, I decided that I was going to kick this out a little bit, you know. But, but in his, when we were talking today, I did want to, bro- I broached the idea with him. And I said, okay, well, this might be our last session. He's like, well, you still have two more sessions that you've sort of prepaid with me. And I'm like, maybe I just save that for the second novel. And that's when he said, like, but are you sure this one's ready to go? You know, that's, that's the question. Because he's like, look, I just brought up these couple things, and they're, they're minor things, but they're still things. Okay, fair enough. So he's like, so because I'm not really going to read the whole novel, the question becomes, the kind of things that I'm finding, are they elsewhere in your novel? And, and what can you do to make sure they aren't elsewhere in your novel so that this thing is like spit shined and ready to go? These are all fair points. The dude's really smart. So, so what we ended up arriving at is that um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send him not 20 pages, but I'm going to send him basically the remainder of what I'm supposed to do with him, the next 40 pages. And I'm going to send them to him in early July when he gets back from his vacation. And then he's going to do his best to give me his notes right before I go on one of my vacations so that I can just print them out, take them with me and think about it. And so then, you know, so I, I think that's a pretty good thing. And we said, we'll just go from there. And I said, so what I'm going to do is, Mr. Mentor, I'm going to challenge myself that, you know, like the goal is between now and then, I'm going to make sure that the novel is ship shape, pages 61 through 300. And that pages 61 through 100 that I send you are representative of the other 200 pages in the book. And if we get through that workshop and we find out that like, yeah, this is looking pretty good, then I'm going to feel real good about having my agent query, you know, and and if not, well, then we'll go from there. And uh, I got to say, you know, I am flexible and I like the fact that in a weird way, I'm sort of making a bet on myself, you know, and uh, and we'll see what happens because, you know, 60 pages in, he's brought up some things and I think there is some merit to them. But I also feel pretty good about the pages I've written so far. So again, we're getting really close. But, you know, the devil is in the details. And when it comes to my goal, my goal is to, you know, we, we've, we've talked, we've used this phrase a lot ever since someone submitted it, knowing when to stop and hit print. When it comes to things like comic books, I'm a lot more willing to stop and hit print and just move on to the next thing. Because a comic is, a, is more of a short form thing. You know, a comic is a song, you know, um, it, compared to other things. And, you know, in that context, a comic is a song 
a graphic novel is an album, but a novel is a symphony. And you got to make sure all that shit's right in the extended universe of it, you know? So it was weird because I've, I've had a little bit of lethargy kind of going along to this, like, hey, I might be ready. I might be ready by July 1st. And and the fact that we've now gotten to the point where, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm ready, but I'm going to make this one final run and really just triple down on the work that I'm going to do in the novel for the next, let's go with three, four weeks. And then that'll allow me to submit these pages. And then, you know, like, I'm, I'm willing to take the Pepsi challenge with my shit, basically. And, and we'll see what happens. Um, so that's where I am with that. You know, again, I did extend the date a little bit. I don't think I'm that far away, but I do I do look forward to this challenge I'm sort of laying on myself that comes, you know, kind of through my novel mentor. Um, but a pretty cool thing happened, too. I was talking to Mike Perkins about it, and he actually said, he's like, you know, I can take a look at it. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> so, so I think Mike's going to end up taking a read of it, too, and I'm going to send it to him pretty soon. And he made a great point, too. He's like, you've been working with your mentor for all these years. You know, you're used to his notes, but maybe he's used to you, too. And maybe you could use this this other objective set of eyes and uh, and just have somebody else take a look at it. He's like, I edit stuff, you know, like it's what I do. So I, I thought that was super dope. And uh, I look forward to taking him up on it. And uh, we're going to just keep on making progress. And despite everything, it kind of strangely empowered me, you know, and I feel really good about it. You know, once you get empowered on one thing, all of a sudden you're sort of empowered on everything. And uh, I can't explain how this connection works, but feeling this way about my novel makes me feel better about animals, which I'm about to put some work into. And there's no logical reason for those two things to be connected, except for the fact that you're just in a better mindset and you're more eager to take on your comic projects because you feel like you have a direct path forward on your other projects. So really looking forward to the next month or two and we'll see what uh, the future holds, man. That's great. Um, and that's great advice by Mike. Uh, it's a great insight, you know, by him saying, yeah, you're used to your mentor's notes and he's maybe he's used to you too. That's, that's a great insight and yeah, potentially true. So yeah, let's see what he comes up with. Now, is he, thinking that he's going to read the whole thing or you're just going to give, oh, the whole thing, right? I on. asked cool. him that. I said, like, what do you want? He's like, I'm I'm only putting the offer out to read the whole thing. I have to read the whole thing. And I'm like, well, right on. <laughs> okay. Right on, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. means I need to send it to him as soon as possible, you know? So, uh, so yeah, it's all good. But anyway, so uh, so what was your second thing, man? Um, wingspan, wingspan, wingspan. Uh-oh. This is uh, Zipatone, Zipatone, Zipatone. Yeah. So I feel like this is a running theme for me for the next few weeks. It's, you know, I've been talking about it for the last couple. Um, and I'll be doing it until I finish. So I have 12 pages left in which I have to Zipatone the book. And uh, then Wander's three the art duties will then be complete. But then that leaves me X amount of days to finish the lettering so i really want to get this thing off to the printer as soon as the kickstarter ends um yeah. this is a tall task because uh one zip tones take a long time you know i'm roughly doing about a page a day um honestly it's slightly under a page a day and that's affecting my overall goal I will hustle because that is who I am. I will make sure I am done with the Zipatones at least by the end of the Kickstarter. I'm hoping to have it done well before then. I think there's 15 days left on the Kickstarter, something like that. And uh, I have 12 pages left. So the hope is I'll finish it in 10. And um, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it. I'm yeah. going to make sure that just one day 
I actually have some coffee, and I've switched to tea, you know, and uh, but I'm going to switch to coffee one day, and we're going to get it done. Welcome, and, back. Welcome back to yeah. Coffee Land, friend. <laughs> right? We've been waiting and for so, you. I, I have a cup poured for you right now in Coffee Land. <laughs> <laughs> First sip is free. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, so I just got to get that done. It is a process unto itself. It's um, I've got the process down, but uh, it does take some time. So as soon as I get that done, uh, there's so much other stuff that I have to do. I have a couple of clients that are barking up my tree uh, that I need to take care of their stuff as well. So I need to make sure I keep that in balance. You know, I don't want to lose lose this, these clients. So you got to make sure you're getting getting everybody done, uh, you know, at a reasonable rate, a reasonable time. Yeah, man. No, I mean, that's look, Zipatones sound like grueling work. They sound like I'm um, a. I'm going to go a deep Prince cut here. They sound like Le Grind. If, if anyone knows that reference, hit me up. You'll, you'll, and don't look that shit up. Just, just be honest with me and let me know that you know that. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, it, it sounds pretty grueling, dude, you know, like just based on, based on how long it's taking you is what I'm gauging myself on here. Cause you work. And so for you to be, punching through stuff. I mean, this is basically like a month-long excursion in you rescuing the snakes in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like pretty much, yeah. Like exactly. it's just day after it's like a, it's like a groundhog day of you doing nothing but rescuing the snakes and passing out as you fall down on the ground. That the is exactly what it feels like. It feels like groundhog's day. It's like I wake up and I do the same thing. It's just on a different page. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's just trying to fit it all in and uh like you know, between other stuff. For like for instance, when I was doing the making comics tier, the cover, so there was an issue where I had put the squid head character falling down a little too low. I wanted him up a little higher. And so I grabbed Joaquin's finished colored piece and I just um, downloaded it on my iPad. I circled the character and uh, cut and pasted him a little higher where I needed him to be. Mm -hmm. And I just filled that spot where the cut is in with white, uh, found out later on that I actually created a moon shape where his body was. And you couldn't really see it except for when the image was very tiny. Mm -hmm. So I was looking, I was on my Instagram page and I was looked at your cover and the background, if you guys haven't seen this, go to my Instagram page or go to Keith's Instagram page. The, the background of this cover is a white cover, but it's not a pure white. It's not a true white because... Joaquin had added a um, an effect to it, like a kind of like a glowing effect uh, near Kadoja and the character, uh, and so when I had made that cut, it had interfered with that with that uh, you know highlight, that gradient, whatever it was, and I couldn't figure it out. And I said, Joaquin, hey, can you help me out? And he goes, Well, sh should I just send you the image? in the layers so that way you can move the character up and I said yeah let's do that so I did it and I looked at the image small and the and the cut was still there I thought I had fixed it and I said dude I don't think I'm smart enough to figure this out can you just I'll I place the guy I place the guy where he needs to be if you can move the character and the special effect up you know just to match where he should be and Joaquin's like okay no problem so he does it and he comes back you're not stupid it's because the original art, there was a texture to the paper mm -hmm. that it wasn't completely clean. 
so the cover wasn't completely clean so he just cleaned it up and had moved the character up so he fixed that but that was also a process in it in in itself like i just had to keep messing with it until it was right so stuff like that comes up and um you know you just kind of got to deal with it. it's like well no i need to get that done because your Kickstarter ends before mine. So I don't want you to prematurely print the cover and have this error on it. So I was like, no, no, you got to stop what you're doing because you're about to ruin Keith's cover. And so, (laughs) thank you. And so I made sure to get that done well before. It just took up some time, but you know what? You got to do it. You got to make sure the work you're putting out there, if there's some errors on it, you got to correct it in, you know, an appropriate amount of time. That was very well done. <laughs> I can't think of a better insertion of that reference, actually. So yeah, that, Thank was, you. that was fantastic. But yeah, I mean, that look, that's that's the right kind of perfection. You know what I mean? Like you just you wanted to make it pitch perfect to the Venom reference, and and you didn't know that you were in for a world of work or just like banging your head against a wall. But that's yeah, that's I don't know. That's the way comics are sometimes, and more importantly, that's the way things are sometimes when it's it's only about you you know like we talked about this a while ago with um the kind of stuff that was like not necessarily the star wars special edition but the kind of stuff that you have done for some of your trades the kind of stuff that you're going to do for your collected hardcover the kind of stuff i'm going to do for my collected hardcover if the fans don't notice and it makes the artist happier then the overall level of happy in the universe did go up you know, and, and that matters. And, and as a creator, I get it. There are just sometimes where you realize something has to change and you cannot rest until it's changed. You're going to be unhappy with that until you change it. So um, it sucks that it was a lot of work for you, but I do appreciate your your fine attention to detail there, even though you sort of stepped in a bear trap and didn't know you were doing so at the time, right? <laughs> No, I was happy to do it, man. Uh, there's no way I wanted to uh, put that out in the world and just to have this bonehead error that everyone's like why is there this like why is the white weird right there mm-hmm. like I, I just i wouldn't be happy with it i'm very happy with the cover the coloring everything and so to have something so stupid ruin it for me well uh, it's no that that has to be taken care of and i'm glad it was yeah, man. hey man i mean again we're 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 only a little short time away from me getting those copies right back in i'll get you to de- i'll deliver yours to you and all that glorious stuff so yeah man it'll be a good time um, right on, man. Did you have a third thing? Because I don't. Um, but if you want to, no, man. Riff- um, we can we can jump right into the main topic here. So this week's topic is basic visual concepts. Yeah, yeah. So this um, is something that Keith came up with uh, right before the pod. So we're always in search for new topics. Um, thankfully, what's the hardest part of making comics? Um, thank you for giving us multiple weeks. I think six weeks yeah, like worth two months, of. Basically. Yeah, basically, we had two months worth of, you know, data that we got to mine and, you know, hey, it, it, it was a benefit to you guys. So, unfortunately, yeah. um, that well is, is empty. There is no gold in them here, them them their hills. And so we got to think of other stuff. Unfortunately, so we, have to think, we have to think again. <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> we be thanking. Yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been, I mean, if you've, if you smell uh, something burning, that's probably been us thinking of topics over the last week or two. But, uh, but yeah, something I've, I've hit on recently is this idea of, all right, so I'm going to get to this story at some point, but I was having a conversation a couple months ago with, with Martin Vavra 
uh, about about a certain movie thing. It, it'll come up at some point, but it's a little bit more of an advanced thing in terms of visual storytelling. So we're going to hold that off. I'll call it out once we get there. But it made me think that there are a lot of great rules that are in other disciplines or great adages that we can talk about. So we can talk about not only following them, but breaking them. And uh, I, I just did some internet research and, uh, and I found out that COVID isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> no wait, Holy that's, shit. Not, that's not that's not oh, the kind man. of that's not the kind of internet research I did. Um, we've been no. bamboozled. <laughs> we've been bamboozled the whole thing. Um, no, I did some internet research and and was looking up some some stuff about visual storytelling because we talk a lot about writing and and it'd be cool to to focus a little bit more on the visual side because you know comics are a visual medium. So what I came across was this uh, interesting premise that you know it's like a couple basic concepts around visual storytelling and uh, and we wanted to go through them and maybe talk about them a little bit so scott what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna bring them up and uh, and we'll let you riff on it a little bit and then we'll we'll just go from there so so the first one that i have here is maybe share some thoughts on the rule of thirds with people and then we can riff on it a little bit Okay, so the rule of thirds, that's where you do not want to place your main character, the the focus of your piece, whatever you're looking at in that particular scene, cover, painting, panel. Um, you do not want to place them directly in the middle of the image, uh, of the paper, of the page, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, you want to... So think of a piece of paper. You are going to cut that into three equal pieces or put a grid into three equal pieces yeah like know, a, like a t- either it. either a tic-tac-toe grid right that would be nine pieces or right. a, a three stripe grid where you're removing all of the horizontal lines so you're only left with the vertical lines on a tic-tac-toe grid right so you want to place your image either to the left or to the right you want to cross you want to have some of your image uh your main character your who whatever you're drawing you want to have that either to the left or to the right, not not all the way up against the edge of the paper, but basically kind of where the line would go. You know, if you're if it's each line is equal distant, you're creating three equal pieces, you kind of want it where the line would be, roughly. Um, and that's a good spot for the rule of thirds. Um, that's a good... It's, it's a more appealing piece if you do not have it directly in the center. Now, there's obviously exceptions to this rule. It, it's It's... Never a one-to-one. So, like, this this goes back to um, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. That also doesn't always apply. That, that There's a lot of rules that we, that exist that aren't, that aren't true. Like, what's our favorite thing? One of our favorite things to talk about here on the podcast, and you drink to it, Star Wars. The movie opens up by telling you. It doesn't show you because there's a lot of shit to go through. So right. sometimes sometimes you do have to tell. It's like, hey, the shit went down. It was crazy. But anyway, we're doing this shit now. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay. You just roll with the punches. So yeah. sometimes you do have the, the image, the character directly centered sometimes. And it's a case-by-case case scenario situation. You know, if you're working a, 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 a comics page and it is a panel. You know, there is one panel that you can have the character completely dead center and um, it works. It's all on the flow of the page and uh, how well that panel works with the other ones on that page. Totally. I mean, first of all, to the Star Wars point, like, yes, sometimes what you need at the beginning of the movie is basically a syllabus to Economics 101, 
where you just talk about the trade federation and trade disputes. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an essential part of every movie storytelling, right? That's we right. get it. Yeah, but but I, I do think to that point, you know, the rule of thirds, that, that's the great thing about every single one of these rules. And like, honestly, the biggest takeaway, I think we are 80 plus episodes in, and the biggest takeaway we hope you take from this is, of course, because we come back to this over and over, understand the rules so you know how to break them right so you're not breaking them wrong so yeah rule of thirds follow it unless you want to break it and if you break it make sure you're doing it for a reason you know i like sam raimi and even though we're not going to reveal anything about dr strange the the multiverse of madness specifically sam raimi will raimi will have dead on shots in a lot of his movies including this one where a character directly addresses the camera aka they break the fourth wall and they're centered right in the middle of the goddamn screen when they do it, and they're doing that for a reason, right? So, again, it's intentional, and that's the point. People may not like it, but it's intentional, and that's the choice you're making. So, yeah, man, that again, that's this is that's one of the first big guideposts to talk about in terms of um, the visual storytelling. Um, so the second one, oh, go ahead. Did you? Have you know, else? before we move off of that, it's so funny because I have with what you just said. It brings me back to something I've talked about on the pod is who makes these rules, right? right? It's just like, yes, you you definitely should learn the rules um, so you can break them. But also, what if you just didn't follow them and you did it on your own? Now, what's like, and this is just a open-ended question. This isn't meant to really have an answer. It's just something to ponder just to think about things differently. It's like we do this pod and we do teach you a whole bunch of rules, but I always question the rules. Right. It's like, what if you didn't know and you just did it and you're like, yeah, but that works. Mm-hmm. You know, like what if Sam Raimi didn't know the rules when he started breaking them? And then when he shot his film, it goes, oh, I, I figured out rules, but hey, that still worked. And that's why I still do it. You oh. know, just just something to think about. And it's it's kind of weird and it's kind of fun to think about. Yeah. Again, there, there's a there's a great adage in writing. Um, you can you can do anything as long as you can get away with it. So that's the same thing here. Like great any, anything can be done, but you got to make sure you know what the fuck you're doing, you know, because there are examples of every single type of storytelling being done right and every single type of storytelling being done wrong. And it is up to your knowledge of the craft on what side you are going to fall on on that ledger. You know, so um, but anyway, um, so the second the second thing, the second uh, another big pillar that we want to talk about a little bit. I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, Scott, but I'm, I'm curious. Symmetry or asymmetry. Is that something you're looking at um, in terms of laying out a panel? Um, again, this is it's a case by case and it is if it's needed, you know, uh, um, I have no preference really with symmetry or asymmetry. Um, I know some people do. Some people like stuff symmetrical or asymmetrical. This actually kind of it kind of ties together with with uh, the first one, mm-hmm. the rule of thirds. I remember when I was a kid, and my art teacher was trying to well, art teacher is a strong term. He was my teacher who was teaching us art for that that day in class. <laughs> he was, <laughs> was a homeless man. And he was probably hot. <laughs> Well, it was our teacher, and he, he taught us all of the things. So yeah. it was just like, okay, <laughs> oh, he teaches us everything, and today he happens to be teaching us art. So uh, one of the things that he said, like, he tried to show us a a piece of paper that had a circle drawn on it or 
a, uh, you know, and the circle was in the middle. And then he showed us a piece of paper where the circle was drawn on the right side, you know, top right. And then he showed us a piece of paper that had, uh, was divided in half. Uh, it was half white, half black. And he goes, okay, what's more interesting? And then he had the ball in the middle and then he had the ball on the right. And everyone gave their answer. And my answer was ball in the center. And he goes, well, you know, like visually, visually speaking, uh, I think that the ball uh, or the picture on the right with the ball on the right is the more interesting image. And me as a kid goes, not me. I actually like the one that's in the middle. So he was trying to teach me a rule that had been created by man. Mm-hmm. And I was and the answer I was giving him was from the mouth of babes. I was telling him exactly what I liked. Right. And so he did it again with the uh, the paper that had, was divided right down the middle, black and white. And then right. the next one, it was 20% white, 80% black. And he goes, okay, which one's more interesting? Or which one do you like looking at better? And, and I like the one that was even. So mm-hmm. I guess in a way, childhood Scott likes symmetry. Yeah. So, whereas I, as I've gotten older, I see the beauty in asymmetry. Yeah. So I don't have a preference. Like as a grown up, I don't believe I do. Um, and it's all, all a balance. Like when you want to use it, like I wouldn't want to use it all the time, but I know there's a lot of artists that do, yeah. you know, like Trad Moore, his work is like, a, he draws a lot of parallel lines. And like, that's one of the things about his work. If you look at his stuff, there's repeating patterns over and over and over again. And it's very appealing because it's so different. You know, it's different from what other people are doing. So, um, and then to go back to interior pages, you know, if you have that character dead set in the middle of the panel, it's symmetrical. You know, you're looking at two eyes, one nose, two ears, you know, and it's going to be balanced on both sides. That's, uh, if you go through, I think, second shift 10, you know, with the second part with the taxidermist, I remember a particular panel where he's dead center and it's a close up of his eyes because one or his glasses, like you never see his eyes in the actual comic book. It's this reflection of his glasses. That's all you ever see. Mm -hmm. And that's appealing to me. I think that's an interesting visual element to storytelling. And it's not something I do all the time, but when I do bust it out, I always like it. Yeah. No, again, again, this is, this is just about making people aware if they're not already. Cause the thing, a lot of these things are not only, fundamental they're fundamental to people who have taken classes in this stuff but they're also fundamental to people who haven't the point is to just recall these things out and make sure that you know maybe this serves as a nice little visual checklist for people when they're going through their panels they're like okay what what am i doing here what does this look like i'm doing do i have a plan um which we'll get to with number five but let's get to number three which i think you and i will both agree on which is making sure that you're quote unquote moving the camera around Right. The exact thing I got from this article was the phrase avoid eye level shooting um, because this was a movie based article that I was looking at. But that is something I think you and I are both in pretty strong agreement on, you know, um, in terms of making sure that you're presenting visually interesting panels by not having things at eye level. Yeah. um, So I actually looked that up because I was curious because when you had presented these to me, I was like, I know what that is. I know what that. Oh, I don't know what that is. What are they talking about there? Because um, I just wasn't familiar with it. So I Googled it. I was like, I level camera. Okay, what is he talking about? Um, And I come I came across a couple of things. And and these these are interesting definitions. and, And I can 
reading this, I can visualize that and I can see why that makes sense. Um, so they say to not do that, but you know, in the case of comics, you're going to do that. That uh, like a panel we just talked about is you know directly eye level, a character mm-hmm. looking directly into the quote unquote camera. You know, like looking directly at the viewer. Mm-hmm. So it does. It is a useful tool when it comes to comics. So, um, and you had just said Sam Raimi does it. He's a film director. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, but he's also breaking these rules. And uh, it was interesting when I looked this up. There was a subcategory where someone asked, what are eye-level shots good for? An eye-level shot is a camera angle very commonly used to convey a neutral view. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can see that. Like, if if someone's having a conversation, that's a good that's a good indicator of a neutral view. You know, like you're, you're having this look at this character. Um, why would a director use an eye-level shot? As a director or DP, you may want to use an eye-level shot to bring the audience into the story. Um, You can do this by creating an eye-level POV shot or eye-level close-up. This can help uh, humanize the character at the center of the story or be used as a reveal for an object within the frame. Um, Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's that's why I do the close-ups. Uh, myself when I'm working in comics. So that is something that actually translates. So it's interesting enough that looking up why you wouldn't do it, there was actually answers as to why you would. And I find those both apply to comic books. Right. And, and what, what is interesting about this is you sort of beat me to the thing that we were going to bring this together on. Cause there's a fourth and a fifth thing, you know, based on the, the, the couple things I read and there, there are way more than that, but this, you know, this article I read distilled it down to four and five, um, to, to five, I mean. What's interesting about the first three is when you view them individually, they're interesting. When you view them together is when things start to get really interesting. And a lot of what you're just talking about is about how you can bring them together. So let's say you're, let's say that the way you want to use the rule of thirds is that you want to have characters always quote unquote on the line, as Scott was talking about. And let's say that in terms of symmetry, you want things to be rather symmetrical. And let's say that in general, you also want to avoid being at eye level. Well, what that means is when it's time to break the rules, you can break to quote, what is it? Wu-Tang break all them shits, right? Like, you know, you can, you can go from, from that to a dead center, like, panel where the character is just staring at you at eye level and that's going to register with the person that's reading that comic on some level because you haven't done it yet so you're switching it up for a nice moment of dramatic impact so that's another way to weave all this stuff into your storytelling is to dance between the two and understand what the the scene requires and what the comic requires for these big impact panels and impact pages that are going to be within every issue, which kind of gets to the fourth thing, which is to be intentional about your choices, you know, which is to understand what is going on to, to think through what is happening in your comic and to understand how all these things make sense. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like you said, that stuff just started coming together naturally. You know, when we're talking about creating uh, the comic page or, you know, movies or whatever, um, this stuff all goes hand in hand. It all works together. Right. right. And that's, look, that's that's what, what Scott was doing there is just years of institutionalized storytelling and story watching and story reading, right? Like this is, 
this is something I say a lot in, in the music terms, and I think it applies here too. Like, like everybody listening to this podcast knows this stuff intrinsically, but it's helpful to call it out, give it some terminology, because that terminology can really help you be intentional when it's time to make your comic or make your comic better. You know, so so the final thing um, is theme. Do you have any? Do you fuck with themes at all? You know, like I thought this was the weirdest one of the bunch, but I wanted to know if you go with any visual themes or things like that in your comics or if it's, you know, where are you on that? Sometimes I do. Um, I don't don't use it all the time, but sometimes I do. The taxidermist story for Second Shift, it's issues um, 9 and 10. So if you don't have them, you should get them. Um, The Kickstarter is still live. Yeah. And you can pick up all of my books. If you don't have any of my books, get all of my books. There's an all, all my books tier. Um, get that. Then read Second Shift 9 and 10. The way sec- the way the storyline starts uh, is the way it ends. So that's, uh, that's a theme. I have a bit of a theme there. How it starts is how it ends. You'll If you read it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Or read exactly what I'm talking about. And it also makes it symmetrical in a way. Mm-hmm. Like there's a balance to it. And I do love stuff like that. Um, I do have a tendency if... I think when I'm doing fight choreography, there is a theme there. Um, and it's it's all dependent on what the fight choreography is. Um, and, and it also involves a lot of symmetry. You know, it's just like a little mm-hmm. tit for tat. Uh, that type of thing. So, uh, But it doesn't... Comp- come along all that often but when it does it's definitely there for me and and right away i was able to pull the taxidermist storyline you know like to the forefront right away yeah i mean look i absolutely this this is one where i'm really deferring to you visually um the examples that i see in the article are so so let's say you want to deal with something that's Oh, what like a like a horror story or or the kind of story where you might want things to be a bit stark and uh and perhaps isolated, right? Then what you could do is you could have no more than one character in any panel, right? You could, because that way what you're doing is visually you're amplifying the idea of people sort of being alone, even though they're all together. In terms of writing, I have plenty of themes that I put through my shit, you know, but uh, like like one, for example, like it's a horror book, right? And And so if you're going for something that's, let's say you're going for something frantic in your horror book, this is just novels, but you could apply it visually however you want. Then you're going to want to use frantic words. You're going to want to use like anxious words. Your word choice is going to help dictate that theme. And the same thing on the visual side. If you have certain themes, then understand that the way you do things can dictate that theme. You know, if, if you're writing a horror comic, maybe you put a bunch of people far off to the side in terms of the rule of thirds until it's time for a big impact scene. And then you put it in the middle. Or you have just a bunch of stark shots in the middle until it's time for something in the reverse, right? You can sort of do whatever you want there. It's about taking all these things, and these are just a few, right? It's, it's just one cut of how you can look at that information. But you take that information, and then you absorb it. You become aware of it. And then hopefully what you do is you become a little bit more intentional in the way that you are telling stories. So... That's about all we can say for the for the main topic. Think about all these things and make sure that you're aware of them at least because it never hurts to be aware of them because it's only going to make your stories better. Absolutely. You know, and going back to something I talked about earlier 
uh, who's making these rules. It is absolutely imperative. You do learn. You know, it's it's fun to do these these thought projects where you're dissecting something you know and you love. And like, why do we do this? And who said that we have to do this? And and that's all valid. Those are all valid things. But once you learn a lot of this stuff, once you learn a lot of these rules, you understand more. You just understand storytelling better, uh, whether it be writing or drawing. And you can implement those things. And hey, if there's a lot of stuff that you learn and you're like, look, there's a reason why I don't like that method. There's a reason why I don't like that rule because I do it this way. You know, you could be the new Sam Raimi. You thought of something that you're not supposed to do, but you actually know how to do it in a way that makes it acceptable. And that's okay. But first you have to learn these rules. And uh, once you get, once you get past that, you know, the sky's the limit. Think about comics in a different way or movies or books or whatever you're doing. Think about them in your own way. Yeah, do that. But uh, make sure you're learning these rules, like like he said earlier, in order to break them, you know, totally. and make the, make make your stories your own. Yeah. I mean, look, you can you can always um, God is the word subvert, invert, maybe. But like the you know, you, you can always take a rule and mess with it a little bit. You know, like, again, the example um, I, I've given before and I'll give again is that in Kadoja, Kadoja is a giant monster story and many giant monster stories involve the military and they involve the president. Right. Like that's a pretty normal thing. So I made a point to not involve the president, but instead make the highest ranking person the presidential press secretary. It's the same, but it's a bit inverted, you know, so you can you can take that stuff and you can invert the rule a little bit because you want to stay a little bit to it, or you can take a, a rule and smash it on the ground. Like, so for example, you can kill your protagonist on page two, but if you kill your protagonist on page two, you'd better have a damn good reason why and the story better center around that. Um, so again, it, depending on the, on the size of the, depending on the, uh, the break you want to do of this rule and, and, that's going to determine how much work you have to put into it. You know, if it's a mild subversion, it's not going to require as much work as an outright defiance of rules uh, that, that tend to work for stories that succeed. Right. Cause that's how rules get made. Rules get made by things being successful and then other people going like, well, that must be the way to do it. That doesn't mean it's the way you need to do it. Yep. Absolutely. It's not the only way, especially in the world of indie comics, man, we are here to take chances. So by all means, take those chances, but, uh, but you know, get them right. There you go. Take chances. Just get them right. Yeah. And that is the way. Yeah. All right. There's your star Wars reference. All right. Let's bring the bullshit, man, because I know we got a lot of it. We do have a lot of bullshit to bring. Um, (laughs) I mean, where do I start, Scott? I sort of want to go off comics for nonsense, but let's just stick in comics as, as your boy, Scott is aware. I clean the fucking run of Sandman like a day after we recorded that. And then I texted you in all caps. I said, I cleaned the run. And you knew exactly what I meant. Uh, So yeah, it's been a flurry of Sandman packages arriving. Um, It was really interesting because what was hilarious is I did all this shit. And then I listened back to our episode of two weeks ago where I proceed again. I say even you know, this this probably won't hold up well, but I just want to document this point in time. And I say there's no values to be had in comics. <laughs> and, and I texted Scott. I was like, quote, there are no values to be had in comics, end quote. Me, 
days before I proceeded to find a lot of values in comics. <laughs> so, but, but I, I think to, to bring it back to that point, there are values to be had in comics in a very specific way. And it's, it's always going to be either information or condition, right? Because I found a lot of wonderful values in my Sandman run on books that are lesser conditioned because I just wanted it. So who's, you know, I don't want near mint copies of every single book. And some people do, and I get that. But in my case, I just wanted to complete the run. And I got some really great deals that I think technically, if they got graded, they would be a better condition than I bought them for, which is all you can really ask, you know? So I cleaned the run. Um, all the Sandmans are either here or on the way, and they've been showing up. And boy, I tell you what, a lot of them have, the second I took them out of packaging, I'm like, this looks great. Like some of these things are in phenomenal shape, phenomenal shape. Um, and, that's great, man. Yeah, yeah, that was something I definitely encouraged on the pod. I was like, no, no, clean that run. Clean like, don't run. because you were a little wishy washy about it. Yeah. You're like, look, if I if I don't get it, then I don't get it. It's not a big deal. It's like, no, man, that's no, that's not the way. You're that's loser. You're talk. almost done. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> loser talk. You little you're being punk. a fucking loser. You're fucking giving up. <laughs> it's like, no, man, you got the means. That, like you said, you had knocked out all of the expensive ones already. Yeah, all you had was just these little stragglers. Yeah, knock out the stragglers and it cost you nothing in comparison to what you've paid for the the big hitters in that series so just get it done and it feels better yeah they, they were those frustrating stragglers that were like between 17 and 26 dollars though and you're like but this doesn't mean shit you know like again the first appearance of fiddler's green or whatever like that's not the first appearance of death that's not the first appearance of lucifer like i get it's the first appearance but like who the hell cares you know who cares until you do yeah that's true no i who gave a shit about uh, she Hulk's run. Yeah. Until they announced the 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 TV show. Right. You know right. who cared about White Vision until he showed up. You know totally. what I mean? Totally. Like there's tons of these minor characters that no one gives a shit about until you do. Oh yeah. What if what if in Sandman, Green Fiddler or whatever you just said, what if that the actor crushes it? Yeah. And then that character becomes a fan favorite, and totally. then you got it for you know, $10 and then it's nope. a $70 book. After exactly. That. In fact, um, we already started to see that a little bit with the issue. I think it's Sandman 10. It's the first appearance of the Corinthian who is in the trailer. Um, oh, you, okay. ha you have to know who he is, but he's in the damn trailer. So okay. sure enough, that thing boosted up just a little bit than if I had bought it, you know, let's say two months ago. Um, but anyway, yeah, the run is clean. They're all on the way. And, uh, and that box is checked, my friend. How about you? Hell yeah. Well, I got a bunch of stuff. Do you have more comic stuff? Should I go through everything that I got? It's not. I a want ton. you to go through almost everything because we're going to do this a bit chronologically because uh, I did something about three minutes before the podcast. Okay. All right. So uh, I just okay. I have a a, a checklist of X Men issues that I need. Their first appearances or key issues. Um, one of them was Uncanny X Men ninety seven. That's the first appearance of Lalandra uh, from the Shi'ar. And it's this killer cover. It's like Cyclops versus Havoc um, okay. on the main cover there. Yeah. And I actually got that for a good deal. Um, I think it's normally a $60 to $100 bit book or something like that. I think I got it for $40. So I was pretty happy about that. I've been looking for that for a while. Another one, I actually got this at San Diego Comic Fest um, for the first time. It's Uncanny X-Men 221. This is the first appearance of Mr. Sinister. Mm. Now, a, a while back, I had won some shit off of eBay, and and the guy had a local pickup, and he he 
noticed my zip code. And he goes, hey, I see that you're local to San Diego. I'm local to San Diego. Do you want to just come pick it up? That way you save yourself some shipping. And I was like, that's great. What area you are you in? He was in North Park. Yeah. It, at the time, it was not far from where I lived. I was like, I will absolutely get go pick those up. Yeah. In and, that you, process, and then you woke was, up and your butt hurt and you tasted chloroform. Yeah. And I was missing a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> so he just went I'm to town on me. I, yeah, I'm cutting that. But <laughs> Why? <laughs> so um, while enough. I was there. Fair enough. <laughs> I asked him if he had any other X-Men issues that he was getting rid of. And he, he let me know he had this Mr. Sinister's first appearance. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll get that from you. And at the time it was a 15, $20 book. It wasn't a lot of money. And for whatever reason, I didn't bite the bullet. Quarantine happens. Um, <sighs> X or what, what is it? Um, uh, the age of X or X, X, 10 swords, whatever, all of that shit went down. Mr. Sinister's first appearance skyrocketed because he was such an important part of that storyline. So I saw him at San Diego comic fest. He actually works, works the comic fest show. He was like, Hey, I still got those books. It was Mr. Sinister's first appearance as well as Archangel's first appearance, Hmm. both about 15, $20 books. Mm -hmm. At this point, each book was worth 80, 60 to 80 bucks a piece. And so he's like, still have them. And I'm like, so he brought him to the show. I was like, yeah, I didn't think you would still have them. I thought you would have got rid of them by now because three years had passed. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, no, you you said you wanted them. I held on to them because I knew I was going to see you at the shows. And so he brought them over and I'm like, all right, what are we talking? He goes, okay, so they've changed since, you know, we agreed. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, the, he goes, just give me 60 for both. So I was like, hey, you know what? That's a win. I'll take That's it. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. And, um... This one popped up on my eBay in like one of my searches. This was not on the search, but it was like, oh, you like this book. You might also like this book. And it was Uncanny X-Men 221. Buy it now for $22 yeah. or uh, make an offer. A kidney. And and yeah, <laughs> a kidney and some butt stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay. I don't want any do any butt stuff. I'll just give you $22. <laughs> so I didn't make the offer. I didn't want to risk losing the auction because I have done this before. This is me being a penny wise, a pound foolish. Yeah. Instead of trying to save two bucks, three bucks, four bucks, I was like, fuck it. I'll pay the $2, like what I'm going to try to talk them down for. Like, let me just buy it because someone else out there is going to realize this is a great deal also and just buy it for $22. Yeah. So 22 bucks for uh, Mr. Sinister's first appearance. I was very happy about that. And then we had talked about this previously. West Coast Avengers, number 45, the first appearance of Vision. Oh, let me, White let me Vision. show you the cover. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, that is the cover for that Mr. Looks great. Yeah. And then, you know, you have this, yeah? Oh, I do. White Vision. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the first appearance of White Vision, I got that for, um, I believe, $20, 15 to $20. I think you mentioned so it last was, week. It was 22 Oh, 22 Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm, but it's here. I'm buying a lot of books for 22 It's in your So, face. yeah, man. So, yeah, so I got it. Very exciting to have this. And honestly, I think I'm just going to grab the rest of the run. Like, West Coast I think, Avengers? Yeah. Didn't John Byrne do a lot of West Coast Avengers? I think there's I, another book, and I can't remember which one it is, but there's another book in there that I think has some value because I have that one too, but I'd have to go check oh, okay. it out. Yeah, because the way that I got uh, West Coast 45 was a lot 
Not not mm. a lot, not a full lot, but a lot with like the two books that mattered. Because the thing about okay. most of those books is they're complete crap. You know, like they're worth okay. nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I know that I got like a mini lot that had the two issues that mattered, but I can't remember offhand what the other one is. Might be, I don't know. It, all the numbers blur together after a while. Yeah, and honestly, that, those are the kind of books that I want to look at, you yeah. know, that aren't worth shit right now, but maybe one day in the future they are. And honestly, if the run is done by John Byrne, it's definitely worth looking at totally. art-wise. Yeah. So if I can get those for, you know, a fraction of the cost and what it might cost in the future, let me I'm, let me do that now. You Absolutely. know what I mean? yeah, man. And then, so if I mentioned White Vision's first appearance last week, then I definitely mentioned uh, Demon in a Bottle. Yes. And so Demon in the Bottle came in. Uh, it is... Iron Man 128, and just as throw-ins also in this lot, it's a 158 and 90. So I don't know what's going on with those other two, but I'm really excited about this demon in the bottle. Nice. So I've gotten a lot of books lately that are just kind of like these key books just in our past. You know, things yeah. like just iconic-looking covers, books that are always talked about, not necessarily worth a lot. But I got that on a steal. I got those three on a steal. So yeah. pretty happy. Talking about that makes me realize that there's a book that I want to get that I love the cover on. And so I'll, I'll track that down. It should be pretty cheap. But, uh, but let me mention that. So leading up to this podcast, I was actually editing last week's podcast. I had a little bit of time. I'm almost done editing last week's podcast. And I was to the part where we were bringing the bullshit and we were talking about comics. And you were saying something. I'm like, you know, while I'm listening to this, I'm just going to queue up eBay and I'm going to look for a, an old friend, an old friend that hasn't made its way to collection yet. Thor 337. So I'm like, eh, let me see what Thor 337 is all about, right? So I do all this stuff and I end up finding a very good, I think very good plus copy, supposedly, that's listed at 120 buy it now or best offer. So, you know, you and I both know that best offers can either mean they're, they'll take anything lower or best offers can mean they're holding out for something higher. And you're never going to know until you make that leap, leap of faith like Indiana Jones in the third movie, right? You got to make that leap of faith and hope that you don't fall to your death and you just land on a stone optical illusion walkway a little bit lower. But I ended up putting in a lower bid and it got accepted instantly. So, oh. yeah, I know that that did make me worried, though, because I'm like, shit, I could have gone lower, <laughs> you know, but uh, but <laughs> I hate that. I know, but I, did, the, I do the same thing all the time. But it was a pretty low bid. It was it was substantially lower than than what it was. And uh, and now I'm going to get a Thor 337. And, you know, like my thing is always I just look up what the current value is um, on Go Collect, you know, just as a, as an idea. Right. Like the value for this generally and uh, this value was way cheaper than what a five or six is listed at right now for for Thor 337. So hey, I got Thor 337. So that's that's one other yeah. big big box that I can check in terms of my stuff. So uh, so anyway, yeah, man, that was I mean that is fresh. That might not even show up by the time we record next week. We'll see. That's awesome, man. Uh, Beta Ray Bill's first appearance. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember what I got mine for. Um, I think I got. The whole set of of his, it's like his first, second, and third appearance, or whatever the first storyline yeah. he is in. Mm -hmm. I got all of it, um, which is very cool. Yeah. And then I, I managed to grab a issue of the Thors at uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion, yeah. and had a guest appearance of Beta Ray Bill. So I thought nice. that was cool. Yeah, if I remember yeah. right, you like I would have to track down three thirty eight and three thirty nine for somewhere around ten or eleven bucks each to get the deal you got. But my deal is still pretty good, if I remember right. Yeah. I, I'm just off off memory. 
And I think the second appearance is the first appearance of Stormbringer. Okay, yeah, that's that is correct. That is correct. Okay, and and you know the thing is there were lots on eBay, but those things were criminal in terms of their prices. So you know, okay, you you go with what you uh, can go with. I find the more accurate pricing of comics is if you look up the book you're looking for on eBay and then you hit the sold recently sold. Yep. Because that is a, a real-time indication as to what these books go for. You just look at the last 20, and then you average it out. You know, or yeah. you just you could just eyeball it, and yep. you go, okay, they're going for about 150. Yep. You know what I exactly. mean? Just Or, or exactly. whatever book you're looking at. Yep. Just you average it out, and uh, hey, if you guys are collectors out there and you want to help yourself out, open your notes section on your phone and do this. It'll save you a ton of time without having to try to remember, you know, before these auction ends, you know, just yep. just make a note to say, oh, OK, all right, Thor 337, this goes for between this amount and this amount. Mm-hmm. So you can quickly access that when you're trying to look up auctions and go, OK, all right, this is about to end, but I don't know how much it's worth. So I don't know what the max bid I should do is. So if you have that written down, you don't have to remember shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. um, So, yeah, anyway, um. I think that's it. I mean, I, I had some some out of the out of the blue bringing the bullshit, but you know what? This episode's run pretty long, so I think I think we're good. Yeah, man. Uh, I would bring up basketball, but I don't want to jinx what's going to go on. So I don't got... either. I don't either. Yeah. So, so we're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about shit. Exactly. All right. So that'll do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and uh, you know, you can find us on social medias. I am at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram, and then Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. For me, Keith underscore Invader is my main Instagram account. That is me doing stuff. And once the Kickstarter's over, I'll go back to the full normal rotation of doing stuff, quotes and pictures and books I like and all that fun stuff, and maybe some shots of me and my family, too. And, uh, but if, but if giant monsters are your only thing, then by all means, just go to at Kadoja Kaiju. That is all one word. And, uh, and that's your one-stop shopping for awesome giant monster goodness. And you can find my comic books, Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. I also do a bunch of other books like the Accidental Alien Anthologies and Tales from the Mothership. Those are also on the website. But let me not forget to tell you guys, the Kickstarter is still running until July 1st at noon. So if you have not backed it yet, and you listen to this pod every week, and you like what we do here... All we ask is you buy our books. So back that Kickstarter. Hopefully you already back Keith's. And, uh, you know, get some comics from us. Exactly. That's, that's what we want. Yeah, I mean, look, that Patreon thing I say, that's a joke. Like, everybody, I know you all realize that. We're not going to do a Patreon. Um, all we do is make jokes about the fact that we have all these cutting room floor conversations that we could release for Patreon backers. It's a bit of our comment on Patreons. But anyway, um, but yeah. You like the podcast, then then you know get our books. That that helps a ton. Of course, the Kickstarter for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one is all over right now. But soon on KeithRFoster.com, I will have some pre-order links up if you would still like to get that issue. So goodness on the way, and there's more goodness after that. So uh, so yeah. And Keith if R. you want to, yeah. Oh my bad, KeithRFoster.com. Yeah. Get them books. Yeah. And uh, don't forget, you can contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com or any of the social medias we just listed. Let us know what you think of the pod, uh, what we're doing good, what we're doing bad, what you want to hear more of, less of. Um, We might listen to you. We might not. Who knows? But at least we're going to listen to the 
Uh, oh, there is no voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail there if you want. But, I mean, uh, give it a go. There's got to be a Give way. it a go. Let's see what that sounds There's like. Maybe we'll put one. that on the air. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, uh, and look, when it comes to listening to the podcast, if you have an extra minute or two, then by all means, um, you know, there's ways that you can help us out. And, and we've talked a lot about algorithms, right? And how you can control the algorithm. And so I was curious during the week. And I think the interesting thing about algorithm is found within the dictionary definition. So algorithm comes from the Latin word algo, which means give the Making Comics podcast. And then rhythm, which means five stars. So it's all right there in the word. All you have to do is understand the core definition of the word algorithm, and you'll know that you need to take the Making Comics podcast and give it five stars. So yeah, take a couple minutes if you can. It really does help. It expands the audience, and, uh, and it's good, great for everybody. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode. We'll see you guys next week. Yay, yay.